Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction, NHL, NBA, MLB, and so much more. Crazy odds and the best live in play. Download the app in Ontario. Use the QR code that you see at the bottom of the screen, or you can head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. This is Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Welcome to another episode of Agent Provocateur. I'm Alan Walsh with Adam Wild. How are you, Adam? I'm, I'm, I'm excited, Alan. There's a lot to talk about today. I'm excited about our guest and that sort of thing. But uh, I'm mostly, I'm kind of excited for you because uh, you started something big this week, or, or I guess it was late last week now. And it's something that we forgot to talk about on our episode with Ray Ferraro, which I don't know how that escaped us. Well, um, I, I guess you're talking about the race to NCTE that I'm involved with. Correct. Um, so we had Chris Nowinski on as a guest um, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris is the executive director of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. And uh, I've been a, a, a big supporter of the foundation and their work. And, um, and, and they raise a lot of money and awareness uh, with a goal of researching and ultimately eradicating CTE. Um, there's a lot of uh, retired athletes uh, involved. A lot of current athletes are very supportive of the foundation. And I'm very fortunate to have been asked to serve on the board of directors of the foundation um, a few months ago, and I'm serving there now. And they're having a, a, a virtual race to NCTE. I created a team, Team Alan Walsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to the Concussion Legacy Foundation website, and uh, maybe we can put up a graphic uh, at some point uh, during this to direct people uh, to that. Um, it's for a great cause. Um, they... Um, I uh, have a 24-hour helpline where people who are experiencing, mostly retired athletes, experiencing symptoms um, uh, like anxiety or depression uh, uh, that they believe might be related to um, cumulative blows to the head. Uh, there are medical resources out there. They the People are wonderful. They jump right in and help get doctor's appointments and help get tests done. Um, So this is something that is very near and dear to my heart. I'm, I'm happy to be involved in it and anybody out there, you know, $5, $10, $15, anything you can spare, if you can, uh, it's going to uh, a great cause uh, and, and your money will go uh, directly to people who, who need it. We'll uh, we'll put the link to that in the description underneath the video portion of this episode. Um, just so if anybody does want to click on that, it's it's right there. And I'm sure Alan Jesse already has a graphic up and ready to go because uh, he always does. So can you help us bring on this next guest? Our next guest is uh, Phil DePisciato. He's the founder and president of Octagon. Uh, Octagon is now celebrating this year its 40th anniversary as a as a company. Uh, I joined Octagon uh, in 2004. Um, I had uh, my own agency, sports agency, representing NHL players with a partner, and uh, Octagon acquired our company and uh, myself, my partner at the time. And um, all the people working with us uh, in North America and around the world uh, merged into Octagon's existing uh, hockey division. And ultimately, I became co-managing director of that division uh, with Mike Liu. So um, I know uh, our our guest to be a uh, very cerebral, charismatic dynamic, uh, well-spoken individual, uh, and, and, and a really, uh, fascinating person with an incredible background thinking of him at 28 years of age, 
um, um, starting a, a company and watching as it has evolved to what it is today uh, is quite remarkable. Uh, so I'm really excited to uh, jump right in and, 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 and bring them on. Let's do it. Our guest has been at the forefront of the sports and entertainment industry for many years. He is the founder and president of Octagon, which has grown under his leadership to become a worldwide leader in the sports and entertainment space with over 800 employees across 50 offices in 22 different countries. I'm in one of those offices right now. Our guest and the rest of Octagon are celebrating the company's 40th anniversary this year. And on any list of the most powerful people in sports, our guest ranks at the very top of everyone's list. Let's give a big welcome to Phil DePisciato. I wish the, the claps were louder, Phil. No, that's more than enough. Thanks for having me on your show. Welcome, Phil. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm wondering where the last 40 years went. They passed in a flash. Well, uh, let's take a trip down memory lane. And, uh, you know, I've been working at Octagon now for 19 years. Next year will be my 20th year there. Uh, can you tell us how you got started in the sports business and a little bit of your background? I'm in this sports business by complete accident and happenstance. I went to college thinking I would be a biochemist or some kind of scientist and various decisions or non-decisions led me to a circuitous path that ended up uh, taking me to law school. And from there working for a law firm briefly, that firm dissolved and we had the chance to create our company back in 1983. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the process of creating that company? We had less than a month to come up with a concept, a name, an office, staff, clients, you know, and then all the processes that you need to run a company. Back in, in the day, I think we were all a little bit naive. We thought we would be in survival mode for maybe a couple of years. Alan, you know this from doing this every day as well for way longer than the 19 years that you have very generously spent with us that um, no day is the same as the day before or after. And uh, one has to really be on all the time. So I still feel that we have to earn our trust and our reputation um, and our business every day and feel that we've been in survival mode for all of those 40 years. So it never gets easier. Well, thanks. some things get easier. Uh, most things get more difficult. But if one wants to keep up with the world, mm -hmm. not predicting where the world is necessarily going to go, although we do use that adage of skating to where the puck is going to be, then nothing gets easier. The world is right. more and more complicated place. There are more people. Um, as one gets older, one meets everybody twice, I like to say. So there's always an adaptation. If one just gets habituated to what one did before, which is maybe an easier route, in the end, that's going to probably put you out of business. If you had to give us a description of Octagon, uh, how would you describe it right now? Octagon is a global client-based business that helps corporations, events, media entities, talent and others optimize their careers and prepare themselves for secondary and tertiary careers after their primary career is over. And 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 I, I know that you're very familiar with this. The day doesn't go by where people don't reach out to me. Um, hey, Alan, uh, I, I dream of being involved in the sports business. Uh, I want to be an agent or I want to do marketing and, and, and what you're doing is my dream. And I'm a huge sports fan. Y you know, can I have a few moments of your time for, for some advice? I was in 
that person's shoes many, many years ago where I was actually cold calling certain people, introducing myself with that similar line. Um, what advice would you give to young people today who are interested in starting in the sports business? I was actually in that same position myself. I was an intern for the law firm that led to this career in sports and entertainment. And the first thing I would say is if you are meeting with writing to or otherwise pursuing people within this industry, uh, I would not recommend saying, I love sports, I wanna work in sports because sports is really only a career for athletes and those immediately around an athlete, such as a coach or a fitness trainer. For all the rest of us on the business side of sports, it's an application of another skill set. Yeah. So my best recommendation would be find your passion within a, a well-established professional skill set, whether that be law, medicine, literary, accounting, it could be really anything. And then once one is proficient, apply it to sports. Hmm. So I, I, I did a lot of self-reflection uh, over the years when I uh, decided to become an agent and transition from uh, being a young prosecutor in the L.A. DA's office where I was in a, a unit just trying murder cases one after the other after the other. And I was always attracted to the idea of working for players and working with players. And I grew up in and around hockey and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I had a lot of passion uh, for that. Um, where does your passion come from? Because I know you for many years now to be extremely passionate of anything you're doing. You're passionate about every conversation you're involved in. Where does that come from? I imagine it comes from my parents and maybe some good luck in my upbringing. Um, we, we all do better when we're passionate about what it is that we are doing. We enjoy spending time doing it. Um, it doesn't feel like a job, in fact, I have never felt like I had a job or even a career. This became a lifestyle very quickly. And then I think there's the understanding that we're all in a, in a service mentality, um, that we can help others. We all have a responsibility, I think, to help others and to make the world a better place. And for some of us, it goes in one direction and some of us, it goes in, in another direction. I would have loved to be a professional athlete in any number of sports that was not in the cards. I understood that very early on and uh, searched for my passion, not very um, purposefully in that regard, but just tried a lot of different angles and had a liberal arts education. So was a little bit interested in a lot of different things and believed that the world connected horizontally, not just vertically. You know, these days I have a couple of concerns for people coming out of school when they're trying to plan their futures. I think we all know what they are with uh, maybe less loyalty on every side of the equation. But you know, back in the day when I was starting, one made choices and generally one stuck with them. And the most important piece for me was the people around me. Who would I be working with? Could I really count on them? You know, most service provision uh, work environments are, are built on collaboration and they're built on trust. Otherwise, one might just do things completely on one's own. And these days when we all have access to information and some connectivity uh, through technology, my concern is that it's, it's much more difficult to network because in the end of the day, decisions aren't dictated by numbers, they're dictated and determined by people. Uh, so in, in our day, Alan, uh, we, we got out there and we did things and playing sports was one way that we could connect very well. And even after sports, then you would either have dinner or you would drive somebody home or get driven home by somebody. Uh, 
but there was a, a real kind of community that built that was built around that. And as opportunities become fewer because the population keeps growing, things get more expensive. Um, people have alternatives where they can just use technology and not interact. Uh, I think that that's um, potentially a complicating factor. So my, my passion really came from being around people. The content was secondary, but I'm, I'm very uh, fortunate that the content that I was passionate about happened to be sports and I was able to develop uh, the, the biggest usage of my time over the last 40 years around that platform. Now, you, you've worn uh, a lot of different hats uh, within Octagon and, and the sports industry. I mean, you yourself is regarded as uh, one of the great agents in, in sports, in, in the entire sports business. So you've worked directly with some of the most elite of elite athletes um, as their lead agent, but not just in sports, in the entertainment world as well, working with some uh, preeminent broadcasters, uh, NFL coaches, uh, and, and many more. Um, what is it that you do within your, your day that you enjoy the most? we get to deal, um, Alan, you and I and the rest of the team, we get to deal with exceptional people all the time. And we uh, try to help them get to certain objectives or goals that they may have. And it's always different. And that's one of the truly gratifying aspects, I think, of what we do, which is that we get to apply a wide set of skills differently in every situation for every person. I think if we were in a, in a job or in a career where we were just replicating deal after deal or uh, relationship after relationship, it wouldn't be nearly as rewarding. I don't think that either of us would have lasted this long in the profession. Um, but without doubt, again, it, it just all comes back to the people. And the people that we get to deal with are truly exceptional. They've got opportunities to open every door. The power of celebrity and wealth these days has never been more valuable. Um, so as we're dealing with people who are truly passionate about what they do and have succeeded, you know, we're, we're, we get to deal with the success stories. We get to try to make them even more successful. But uh, we, we're just very fortunate in being able to do that. Do you remember who your first big client was? You know, Alan, uh, for me, everybody is a big client. You know, if, if, a, if a talent is good enough to be on the cusp of making a major league sport, being on television, being in the movies, or um, having a government ministerial post, or, or be a, a C-suite executive at a corporation or otherwise, these people know what they're doing. They're extremely capable. They've got very good personal skills because otherwise they wouldn't have been given those opportunities and we're just trying to navigate them to the best place possible. So one example I would use is when I'm when I'm talking to students and trying to help them to understand that everything is relative. So everything is relative in terms of who's an important client, who's an important person. Um, and, and my answer is, you know, everybody is, you just have to find that magic sauce for them where they can optimize that exceptionalism that they have. But when I speak to, to students about this, I say, for example, what if you were the second best goalie in the NHL? And they go, that would be amazing. I would have a really great career and I'd probably earn a lot of money and I'd uh, be all set for other things after my career. I said, okay, that's a very fair assessment. What happens if you're playing on the same team as the best goalie in, in the NHL <laughs> and you get no playing time and they won't trade you? So you have to wait until your opportunity to, to leave under other circumstances. And then, you know, their faces get more sullen and they go, well, that wouldn't be a great situation. So again, everything is relative when we all start to think that what we do is more important than what other people can do or what other people can do compared to more other people can do. I think we're, we're, we're setting a trap because we create this kind of linear equation where 
there's a ladder that everybody has to keep going up and that everybody's in kind of the same boat, but everybody's in a different lane in life. And there, there is no reason why every single person in our profession or whom we've ever represented or worked with or way beyond can't make a contribution to the world. And that contribution will be and can be and should be different from everybody else's contribution. So every single person who has come through Octagon, whether Alan, you and I work with them, whether we've had the fortune of being business partners with them or we represent them, or even if they're on the other side of the table or another seat at the table, because as you know, everybody in this industry ends up around the same table one way or the other. Nobody can do it alone. They're, they all have a role to play and there are good people everywhere um, and everybody is valuable. Adam? I, I'm, I'm curious when you, when you kind of, uh, when you break it down like that, it's such a, uh, a great way to put it because so much of where we're at now in life is, is competition and you deal with stars every day in, you know, be it in broadcasting or sports that are highly, highly competitive individuals. You know, one of the things that Alan has has kind of talked about uh, as a part of his role is managing expectations. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with people who have, you mentioned, big celebrity, big money, sometimes big ego, uh, how do you approach a conversation where you're resetting expectations? Uh, because I, it seems it's it, like the way that you, you put it in terms of the uh, everybody has their own lanes is, is fascinating. When you've got a big a, a big name client... And I get that they're all sort of weighted equally in your mind and, and, and within the company. Uh, how do you deal with a conversation like that? Because those conversations must come up a lot. Well, expectations need to be thoughtful and they need to be practical. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you can have a wish, but a wish is different from an expectation. The marketplace determines very often whether an expectation can be fulfilled. You know, otherwise, uh, you know, I might... I might have a wish to fly around the world on Christmas Eve in Santa's sleigh, but that can't be an expectation. Can't it? So we, we, well, it could be for some, I suppose. Uh, you know, it, hope is a really powerful emotion and mechanism. And you, you want to encourage people's hopes, but hopes that can be accomplished. And you want to try to gently steer them away from hopes that are just totally unrealistic, but make sure that it's communicated in a way that the person you're speaking with understands it's not a personal limitation as often as it is a systemic limitation. So uh, we are here as educators. I think it's the most important thing we do. We're generally dealing with people who are now younger than us. That wasn't always the case. We, uh, you know, we, we all have gone through um, an educational process ourselves that has led us here. I hope that we have some wisdom through our experience in the world. And while every talent in any profession should understand his or her value proposition, um, capabilities, energy levels, and make decisions around that, there is nobody of any of us who understand what the marketplace is for everything, for everyone, all the time, anywhere. But it's the marketplace that will ultimately have at least an equal influence on that success. So if we can educate about the marketplace and we can guide people without making them feel less well about themselves into a place where they can actually achieve expectations that they have set for themselves, maybe with our guidance, realistically, then we found we we're going to have a lot of very healthy, happy people as they go through their lives. You, you know, when I started in the, in the sports business, I vividly recall middle of winter driving from Montreal to Toronto in a rental car and having to stop every couple of hours at a gas station to go to a payphone and mm -hmm. dial into my office and minus 25 degrees outside with a little notebook and shaking hands, pull down voicemail messages and phone numbers and prioritize what was urgent 
to call immediately and from the payphone because there were no cell phones, um, oh, making a call uh, to a general manager or to a player or to a parent. And, and after 15 minutes, 20 minutes of being frozen solid, running back to the car, you know, blasting the heat, getting back on the highway and continuing the ride. Um, we have seen, all of us, an incredible evolution of technology, both in society and in the sports business. Um, can you talk a little bit about the impact of all of that uh, and what it's had on the sports business uh, from your viewpoint? And maybe look a little bit into the future as to where you see the next major trend going. That's a big topic. I think we could speak for days, you and I uh, and Adam on, on this. But um, I would also add for the context that you were talking about in leading into the question that it's not only those solitary payphones at night, in the dark, in the cold, in the middle of Canada. It was also banks of payphones at airports or at events where we were. And you had no idea who was standing next to you you did know that there was a line of people waiting behind you and all of our calling cards and our accesses back to the office that at, in those times, if you hit the pound button on the phone, you could make another call. You didn't have to redial all your credit card numbers and everything to put in. You could just do that. So I don't know what was more unpleasant being in the dark, in the cold, in a solitary phone booth or being in a bank of phone booths with people behind you, getting really upset when, you know, I would keep hitting that pound button because I would have 20, 30, 40 messages or calls to retrieve. Um, thankfully, those days are a little bit over. Never, never completely, right? We may over rely on technology now, but sports is made for technology. We all hear and understand and talk about the fact that sports is the least time shiftable content to watch in terms of, of programming. There's also an enormous social conversation around sports. Um, you know, when I started, there, there was very limited use even of a fax machine. We used what was called a telex machine, which was a singular device in our office that um, one had to type out what essentially became kind of a telegram and was received by a telex machine at some other point in the world. And a lot of parts of the world were not open and accessible to us. So the old Soviet Union, generally not, you know, China and Southeast Asia, generally not. Um, and other places that just were remote enough that they didn't have the, the uh, advanced at that time technology made it really difficult. So we got on the airplane a lot more often and went to see people and, you know, we're gone months of the year and sometimes you know, a month or two at a time. Um, and you would just try to string as many legs as you could together, because if you keep going in a string of airplane legs, it's much more time efficient than if you go somewhere and come back and go somewhere and come back. It's also a lot less expensive. So, you know, technology is fantastic. As the world opened, as there were more population, uh, was, there was population growth around the world, as there's a developing middle class around the world, um, one can disseminate content and reach more people, make our clients more visible, make companies in better contact, more authentic, uh, valuable contact with their consumers, um, athletes with their fans, entertainers with their potential audiences, et cetera, et cetera, than ever before. And I think that there is no slowing down that uh, advancement into the future. It is one of the things that has grown sports to where it is now and made it such a large ecosystem with so much money, so much attention, so many conversations around it. Uh, I think we've been living at the right time to be in this industry. Are you missing your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of Canadian streaming services, why not take the UK for a spin? Using NordVPN, 
uh, it's just the click of a button. You can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no show is out of your reach. Using our link right now, it's nordvpn.com slash agent P. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and four free months. We love to binge, but privacy is also sort of a big deal, right? So NordVPN keeps your information encrypted. You'll never have to worry about your IP or your location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with new threat protection technology. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. And don't forget, there's literally no risk to try this. It's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try. If you like it, great. If you don't, they'll refund you the money, and you can pretend the entire situation ever happened. Check out my link. Again, it's nordvpn.com slash agentp to get your subscription started today. Get exclusive NordVPN access. Right now, it's nordvpn.com slash agentp. It's risk-free, 30 days, and your money back guaranteed. So it, it definitely does take a village, and and I think your leadership style has always uh, prioritized collaboration, and we are all always in this together, and the collective is always uh, more important than any one individual in any circumstance. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a tribute to the way that you've led the company, at, at least since, since I've been there for almost 20 years now. Um, but there's a lot of different skill sets that go into uh, managing people, managing um, people in different countries. And Octagon has offices in 22 different countries around the world. Um, and also interacting one-on-one -on -one with a potential client or a longtime client. Can you share with us um, one of your favorite war stories of, of representing a client in any sport or other field where you've navigated through some troubling waters and, and came out uh, with a with a great result. Well, rather than an individual client, maybe um, it would be fun to look back at the evolution of women's tennis because <laughs> it exemplifies a lot of what the sports world is about now and should be about. It's truly global. It's the leading sport for female athletes. Gender equality is, of course, very important. Um, on and on. Uh, but back in the day when I started, two thirds of the top players in the world were from English speaking languages, mostly from the United States. And the tournaments were almost entirely in the United States. Um, the viewership was almost entirely in the United States. And if one looks at a business model, if one has a global worldview, one says, okay, uh, there's a huge opportunity being missed. And then the layer on top of that was that uh, the tour was sponsored by a tobacco brand. And that tobacco brand was responsible actually for the existence of the opportunity for these great female athletes, household names, in any case. I was maybe in my late 20s looking at it and saying, you know, this borrowed brand equity isn't equal in both directions. Mm -hmm. A uh, tobacco company is getting the benefit of the imaging of healthy young women and the women's tennis players are marketing a brand that is uh, inconsistent with really who they are, that inauthenticity. And, you know, money prevailed at that time. And also the, uh, you know, it was existential. There was nobody else out there who was coming to you know, put substantial money into, into women's tennis. Um, so the establishment had existed for quite some time. I probably didn't know any better, but thought there was something really mismatched about the equation and went to work in trying to, to change that. And 
some years later, when I was in my early 30s, we were actually able to do that, where we were able to um, to bring a 400% increase in the prize money levels uh, to the women players. We were able to replace the tobacco branding with uh, consumer goods branding. Um, and we were uh, at the forefront of moving tournaments out of North America to some clamor from a lot of people who didn't want them to be moved out of North America to make them into a truly global tour. And that was the basis for what the WTA tour has become today. There were, of course, Alan, many leading personalities in that mix, and they all had different opinions, but it changed the sport. And it was, I think, a microcosm of the world as it was coming to be that skating to where the puck was. Now, you've also worked with uh, a number of leading broadcasters uh, uh, in the United States and, and in, in the world. Um, what's it like for you working with broadcasters and what brought you to that particular piece of the, of this, of the sports and entertainment business? Broadcasters, as, as we all know, are really important to um, the world of sports because they, for decades, were the kind of singular communicator before fans and talent started to interact more directly with each other without the filters. The broadcasters were the disseminator of the information. They were the builders of the brands. Um, and we were vertically integrated across all the businesses of sport from a very early time. So if we were, for example, representing talent, talent don't have a platform on which to showcase their skills unless there is an event. The event needs to be financed through ticket sales and through sponsorship, also through uh, television revenues and, and distribution and the advertising on, on television at the time. Of course, now it's internet and streaming and many other uh, parallel avenues as well. But as one develops a business that integrates the the talent with the platform, with the financing, with the uh, interconnection between consumers and corporations, then one certainly has opportunities to see how important those who are doing the communicating are to that whole community. And that's what led us into that part of the business. Um, in our interactions together, um, we both know each other to be uh, fairly uh, tireless, and uh, I'm I'm a uh, uh, I've definitely been accused of being a workaholic, and you know guilty. You know, um, <laughs> I'm always trying to measure the just one more phone call, one more text. You know, if I could just squeeze in one more trip before the end of the month and and very driven and and very few people I've ever met in my life have that kind of drive. Uh, and 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 I have to admit with with you, Phil, I definitely met my match. Um, what what do you do for fun uh, or relaxation away from? the business because you can't be on 24 hours a day, seven days a week forever. And it, it certainly feels like that many days and weeks and months, but there must be something out there that, that is a bit of a sanctuary for you away from the business. What would that be? I love nature. I love playing sports. Um, I love being with other people, whether they happen to connect to our business or not. Um, you know, growing up, I collected stamps. I collected coins. You know, there, there's always plenty to do to, you know, to keep me interested, whether it's watching a good TV series. I don't get a lot of chance to do that, but maybe in the background or whether it's to travel somewhere. You know, for years and years, I would take business trips and not stay even one at extra sites because I wanted to get home to my family and I thought that it was it was just much more responsible and I really didn't need to spend lots more time on the road. But 
Alan, you, you, the way you framed the question or the comment about yourself, I think um, I would like to comment on. Uh, first of all, workaholism is not necessarily pejorative. You know, if you go back to something I mentioned earlier in our conversation, for me, and I think for you also, this has never been a job or even a career. It's a lifestyle. So if someone accuses you or me of being a workaholic in life, I think that's great because it means one's taking advantage of all the things that life brings. And then you also know that making that one extra phone call is far less of a sacrifice to you than it is a potential benefit to somebody else. You can literally and legitimately change somebody's life with one phone call. So for, for us, it might be the 80th phone call of the day. For the person you're calling, it's very possibly the only phone call they've gotten from someone who can really help them during that day. Um, and I think that that's what drives you. And it's, it's rare. Um, it's incredibly valuable. I would sign up to be a client of yours anytime. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. With you, Adam, we would too. I would sign up to be a client of yours as well. We just have to follow <laughs> people have the best skill sets to apply to what we need or want. But I think, I think it's important context. You know, one attitude is really important. Um, there are among all the people in the world, our commonalities, especially the people who work with us, Alan, our teammates, our uh, expertise. We want everybody to be good at something so that what you do communicate is valuable to somebody else. We want everybody to be really dedicated and committed because if you know something and you're just not committed to sharing it or developing it, it doesn't have a lot of value. We want people to be really reliable and responsible. And then we want them to do it together because there are there, the world is just too big. You know, you asked what I like to do in leisure time, let's say, or non, uh, non work time. Um, to me, everything connects with everything else. And we all miss out if we don't collaborate because none of us can be good or very good or even average at everything. It's a mm -hmm. lot more fun to work with people who are great at something that, you know, that I am less great at. Uh, and whatever the context is, whether it's called work or whether it's called leisure or whether it's called something else, you know, I, I think it's all the same. It's just all part of our 24 hours a day that we have the privilege to live. Phil, um, Alan has, I'm sure, I'm sure you're aware, a bit of a reputation for being somewhat outspoken. Um, uh, no, and I know, really? <laughs> really? and I know from running a, a media company, uh, myself that you do, there is sometimes those you're like, well, people are going to say stuff and, and, and you as a, as an owner or as a managing director have to look at it and go, okay, well, that's their opinion. And I, the, the thing though, with Alan is his, his outspokenness comes from, uh, his, I guess he, he advocates for players, right? He's advocating on behalf of the players, not only that he represents, but that Octagon represents. And sometimes it feels like he's uh, an unpaid representative of the NHLPA. Um, so I wanted to ask you about that and kind of about his reputation with that. Was that, you know, when, when you guys got into business together, was it, was it similar back then as, as it is now? Is that something that's developed? And, and how, how do you see that relationship? Alan is truly a brand. We all know yeah. what Alan stands for and we love it. I think it's a very important brand in, in the sports world. Um, Alan has not really changed in the two decades. Uh, <laughs> I know, and I would say, you know, fortunately, um, I trust Alan completely. His points of view don't have to always dovetail with, with mine or others. But, you know, these days, politicians get elected with fewer than 50% of the votes. And if one isn't going to uh, have, uh, if one isn't able to reach people with different opinions, then one really isn't having an effect on the world. So Alan happens to be right all the time or virtually all the time, at least for the constituency that he chooses to represent. And a lot of people would shy away from that 
Um, and I think it's kind of an octagon trait where we do it with respect. We do it with dignity. Sometimes coming through on media or social media, it doesn't always appear to be that. But Alan is one of the really good souls in the world. He cares tremendously. He would never do anything intentionally to hurt anyone. He Even in his prosecutorial life, it was... Um, work out of a sense of justice to make things fairer and better and, and more correct for the greatest number of people. And when you have somebody like that on your side, you want them to speak out you, because Alan is a leader and mm -hmm. this world needs leaders with a really strong moral compass and a lot of goodwill and intentionality behind what they say. If they happen to ruffle some feathers sometimes and you know that it wasn't intentional, if it goes beyond what was uh, predicted at the time, then one can put it in the right context and, and move on. But Alan is a phenomenal teammate to every single person with whom he's willing to be a teammate. Alan just runs out of time. Yeah. This issue. Wow. That's uh, it's humbling words to, uh, to hear from you. Um, uh, and, uh, you know how much respect I have for you, Phil, uh, and I've had since the first time we ever met. And uh, to hear you say that uh, is very meaningful and, uh, and, and appreciated. Well, all true. And I would also say that it's a great gift to me because you take up enough of the airwaves that I don't have to. <laughs> makes it easy doesn't it Bill? <laughs> things do get easier <laughs> yeah, I, I, a lot of people have described different things about what i do but uh, not many have said i make their job easier but usually it's i make their job a lot more difficult um <laughs> <laughs> uh, phil um in 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 the grand grand scheme of things uh, what's, what's your next move? Where do you think, um, Octagon is going as a company and where do you think the sports business is, is evolving to next? I remember, um, meeting with an individual who was, um, extremely high profile in the film and entertainment industry, um, a, a icon at the time and he was talking to a group of people a small group about eight nine people and i was i was there uh in in his office and he was talking about what was coming next and and the conversation was about the fat pipe and and I'm I'm trying to figure out what he was talking about. He had been to uh, a company called Broadcom, and had had a presentation at the time about um, the internet. And it was at the time we were using um, modems, dial-up, and he was talking about streaming live events and streaming professional games, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, through the fat pipe. And it, it everything he talked about that day came to fruition five, six, seven, eight, ten years later. And it, it, it was a momentous for me, because I always remembered it. And as things started happening over time, every time something new happened, you know, where I installed in my house, my first Wi-Fi router. And it was like, oh my God, there's no wires here. <laughs> uh, this is unbelievable. And it, you know, a lot of the stuff that we now all take for granted where where do you think this is going? What's next? Well, the honest answer is I have no idea. <laughs> and I think that we are 
much better tacticians than we are strategists to the extent that even if we can make some predictions that are educated, it doesn't mean that those predictions will be commercializable even in our lifetimes. So many of the people who predicted streaming or some of the newer technologies are now looking at billions of dollars of debt and trying to figure out how to tweak the business model to, to work for them. Um, there's a guy named Steve Bellamy who once uh, said to me, and I'm going to change the saying a little bit to be more on point here, that you know, pioneers might make the discovery, but settlers own the land. So we tend to wait until something is in our sites that we understand how to navigate it. And very importantly, I think our approach is uh, the world is a combination of ands, not ors. And what I mean by that is that somebody makes a prediction about the future and they say, this is the way the world is going to be. In my experience, the world might be partly that way, but it is almost impossible to be fully that way. So when you're even talking about the delivery of content into our homes from a couple of decades ago, some people said it's about satellite TV. Some people said it's about cable TV. Some people said it will be distributed through your phone lines. And then it went further from there and they were all right. So it doesn't mean that, uh, that a prediction is not important. It's a lot of fun to think about the future. Is it too far out in the future to be uh, worth a lot of our time at the moment? Is it too far out in the future for us to know exactly how to commercialize it for the benefit of our clients who might not even have careers anymore by the time that some of these technologies advance? Um, is it a good employment tool for the longevity of our staff? Um, we don't know. Right. We don't know. So we, we try to stay in the moment. We try to figure out in the near term where things are going uh, and aggregating it all to be a one size fits all for everybody in the world across all sports and entertainment platforms, across all kinds of media, across all kinds of brands and what they're going to want and across all kinds of ways to connect with the consumer to me is just an impossible exercise. Got it. Um What's your what's your uh, feeling about social media and the way that it has um, taken over uh, our daily lives? Many people between all the different offerings that are out there. Um, I saw a recent statistic that people are are averaging over eleven hours a day. Eleven hours a day. Um, connected to some form and consuming some form of social media from Facebook to Instagram uh, to Twitter and some of the other alternatives that are uh, emerging now. Um, and how does that, how has that impacted um, traditional media and your approach uh, in representing athletes? Well, there's, there's been a blending of technology with, um, let's say, real participation now for quite a long time. And the allocation continues to shift. And more recently, it's all shifted toward uh, the technology side rather than the active participation side. But I think where sports has a an opportunity to be maybe uniquely important in the world is bringing people out of their homes, off of their technology, have technology be used to help someone be better, but also to help them maybe manage their medical situations, maybe to stay connected to people really efficiently. Um, but it, it shouldn't replace all this uh, active participation. The allocation of almost 50% of anyone's day to anything, especially repeated over a long period of time, and especially when it's, when it's relatively isolationist in its existence and what it is, 
I think obviously becomes an overweight that is really dangerous. Mm -hmm. So the power of social media and sports is enormous. It drives commerce. It, it drives interactivity. It should drive learning and uh, appreciation for people in other cultures and other parts of the world. But like anything else, when taken to an extreme, it can become debilitating. And I, I hope that we all find ways to limit the debilitation uh, and and use sports to promote things that are healthy and active and really the basis of what sports should be and has been for centuries all about. And bring us together, right? Bring us together, uniquely capable of bringing us together, yes. It's the, the shared uh, experience, or it can be the shared experience that is disappearing from lots of other parts of the world. Um, there has been a, uh, uh, over the last couple of years, um, I think athlete activism has, has taken on uh, more and more prominence within the sports world and society uh, in general. Um, we've had several uh, former NHL players on who talked about when they played in the league back in the 80s or 90s how players had uh, limited rights. Nobody, nobody could speak out on on any issues. Um, there was not uh, readily available free agency after a number of years of service. Um, players operated uh, day to day uh, with a lot of fear, fear of losing their jobs, fear of being sent to the minors fear of being replaced if they ever said anything publicly they were not supposed to say. Um, and we are certainly in a whole different world right now where um, athletes and players associations um, have risen in power uh, and prominence. Um, what's your feeling about a lot of the social activism and some of the shaking of the foundations we've gone through um, over the last couple of years. Just as you have a platform, Alan, to speak on issues that are important to you, I think everybody as a citizen of the world should have that same opportunity. Again, one would hope that it would be based on good judgment, that it would be with knowledge of who the audiences are, that it would be intended to make the world a better place, not a worse place. But uh, it's also very isolationist, right? It's really an example of how our world is playing to individuals these times more than you know entities or constructs that have existed for a long time in a more uniform uh, way. So when one is an activist, if one wants to make a change, one has to be very thoughtful about the ways and the mechanisms to, to try to do that. And, and part of that is, if you're in a team sport, understand your locker room. Is it going to make your teammates better in, in the sport with you and trying to accomplish those goals? Is it aligned with what a team or a league or a players association uh, wants or would advocate or, or isn't it? If it isn't, then think about whether you want to communicate some of that beforehand to them or whether you don't, if you're prepared for uh, a little bit of conflict or whether you're not. Um, but look at other people's interests, because if you're, again, intending to make a positive difference, then start with the circles that are closest to your home make sure that you gather some collective wisdom and that you make an informed decision about how you do it. These days, I think social media and activism are very often um, sound bites that are just created in the moment. There's not a lot of thought uh, against um, what should be said or how or when. And uh, I think it's self-defeating in, in many cases. But as a concept, I'm very much for thoughtful, 
um, advocacy. I'm very much for free speech. Uh, I'm very much, again, for the equality of people as people. They all do different jobs. They're all at different stages of their lives or their careers, but um, they are still people and everybody should have an equal voice with those within those parameters that I mentioned. What would you, uh, what would you think was the greatest piece of advice you've ever been given? Hmm. Oh, hmm. Boy, I've been given so many, I mean, uh, reputations are hard to build and they can disappear in a, in a moment. Um, treat people with kindness, decency, and respect. You'll meet everybody twice in life. Um, uh, things are more complicated than they seem. Don't just assume the worst. If you hear or read something, uh, when you're listening to the media or you're listening to a conversation also, uh, find a way to hear what is not being written or said, because that's probably the context that you need to understand an issue. Um, be a builder, not a destroyer. There's so many pieces of advice. I could go on and on. You do <laughs> that in your, in your podcast, both of you. You do that. <laughs> we, we do go on and on. You're right about that, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I've been collecting quotes for over 30 years, many of them related to the sports business, a lot of them um, related to just living life in general. And I have a file in my phone called Words to Live By. And I probably have over a thousand uh, quotes that I've, I hear something and it, it tweaks me and I quickly open the file and jot it down. And uh, sometimes I'm on a plane uh, or I'm in an Uber, um, or I'm going to bed at night in some hotel room and I'll open the file and I'll scroll through and read 20 or 30 or 40 of them and recall the moment that I heard it or read it. And, and it tweaked me enough to put it into that file. And, uh, I really think uh, one day, if I ever turned those quotes over to somebody to edit them and aggregate them, um, it would be a great uh, roadmap to how to live your life, both professionally and uh, with your family. And and I've I've taken the time to you know sit down with my kids every once in a while and. They're like, uh, Dad, read us a couple of quotes, and I'll open the yeah. file, and I'll scroll through finding the ones most appropriate for them, and I'll read a few off. And it's become a, a, a little bit of a, a game within the family and, and a way to interact with uh, my kids. And uh, uh, I'm always interested in, in asking people, you know, if there's a meaningful quote uh, or piece of advice uh, or something out there that that has remained with them, uh, uh, be, because I, I I just personally find that really fascinating. So uh, beyond advice, is there a quote out there that uh, that has some meaning to you? I mean, there are, there are so many great quotes. There's been centuries of history and uh, a lot of books and other ways of communication that have been preserved for all of us. Um, but one of the ones that I have heard recently that resonated was uh, a quote from Maya Angelou who said something along the lines of, when someone shows you who they are the first time, believe them. Mm -hmm. So that also has some uh, room for discussion because people can make mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't get the whole context. We all rush to judgment sometimes hearing one thing. There's a very limited sample size when you only hear one quote from a person. But Alan, with your collection of quotes, you might be interested to know that the rest of us write down things that you say. That's right. We got <laughs> we have your tweets framed. <laughs> yeah, we have these collections, Alan. Don't don't be Adam. And ninety nine percent of the time, we go. You know, we want to remember exactly where we were with Alan 
to remember the moment. And 1% of the time we go, did he really say that? <laughs> and and, and yes. you know, the, the beauty of me is that it may not be a quote. It might be an image. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't imagine that, Alan. No way. No way. <laughs> uh, Adam? Well, listen, I, I, uh, uh, Phil, I think, I think what's been when fascinating and I, I think the internet speaks in, in, in black and white and listening to you talk and all the things that you've accomplished throughout your career with Octagon, with the team that you've built, with the people you've surrounded yourself with. It's been so refreshing talking to somebody who sees life in a little bit of the gray areas and talks, you know, when, when you said, uh, you know, things are much more complicated than they look. Uh, don't always assume the worst. That, as Alan can tell you, is the antithesis of social media, especially Twitter. Um, where did you come by that attitude? Is that something that you sort of picked up along the way? Uh, is it how you've always been? Well, having grown up before social media, I think was helpful in that regard. And mm. uh, I'm the first one in my family born in the United States. So I had a kind of a global context with which um, I hope I learned something when I was young. And then I've had the benefit of being around a lot of really terrific people. And one understands how unfairly they can be treated and how harmful some of the things that they've heard that they take very personally or have been directed at them because they're celebrities and for no other reason. Um, and I've been in newsrooms where people's jobs are writing headlines about people that they've never met, about events that they have never seen themselves. And the mm -hmm. headlines are supposed to sell a newspaper, but there's no attention paid to the fact that there are human beings behind it who, uh, whose reputations can be damaged by somebody who doesn't even know them for things that they never actually did. And that always bothered me. So uh, mm. I hope I've been vigilant uh, and I hope I've been decent and I hope I've been respectful um, and I hope I haven't shied away from expressing uh, an opinion in situations where others are not those things that actually to them probably made me seem less decent or less respectful. Um, but at least I was authentic to what I believed. Phil, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts and uh, answering some of the questions I threw out you today. Um, it's always a pleasure uh, having a conversation with you. And uh, I always thought, you know, to when it, when I started this podcast, uh, this is our second year of, of having you on as a guest. And I know that we had some dialogue going back and forth over the last uh, month or two, finding the right time. Uh, I'm just very appreciative and very grateful that you've taken the time to come on today. Well, I appreciate your wanting to spend this this time with me, Adam, good luck building your studio, this podcast, other podcasts, everything that you're doing, Alan. Thank you. Keep being yourself, keep doing what you're doing. We couldn't have a better colleague and teammate and uh, thank you both. This has been Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wilde, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Follow Alan Walsh on Twitter at Walsh A. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Agent Provocateur and hitting the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash SDPN.